Is change something that happens to you, or does it happen for you? Welcome to Disrupt Yourself Live with Whitney Johnson. Our program will have you looking at change from an entirely new perspective, a framework in which you and your team can not only face an ongoing and rapidly changing environment, but look forward to it and maximize it for business success. Now here is your host, Whitney Johnson. Hi, everyone. My name is Whitney Johnson, and welcome to the pilot episode of Disrupt Yourself. We all know change is necessary. It's even desirable and definitely inevitable. But when change happens fast, which it usually does, it can feel like it's happening to you and not for you. And that can feel kind of scary. What I've learned, having been an equity analyst on Wall Street and then co-founding an investment firm with Harvard's Clayton Christensen, is that the theory of disruption that we apply to investing, that we apply to products, could also be applied to people. Which, by the way, this theory states that your odds of success are going to be six times higher and your revenue opportunity 20 times greater when you pursue a disruptive course. I've since spent the last five years codifying and researching a framework of personal disruption so that whether you are scaling a business, building a team, or just trying to manage your own career, you've got a structure to do this. So what does it mean to disrupt yourself? Let's start with the words disruptive innovation. At its simplest, a disruptive innovation is a silly little thing that takes over the world, like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the light bulb did to the gas lamp, the automobile to the horse and buggy. More recently, we saw a company like Toyota disrupt General Motors, Netflix disrupted Blockbuster, and now we've got Uber disrupting Yellow Cabs. Disruption, it follows a framework. Personal disruption is how you take these ideas and then make them meaningful to you. Actually, let me back up. I want to tell you the framework first before I talk about personal disruption. So it follows this framework. You have a disruptor that secures a foothold at the low end of the market. So think about Toyota in the 60s. Initially, its products were inferior. Its position was weak. So General Motors, back in the 60s, they could have completely crushed Toyota like a cockroach, but they didn't because market leaders, they rather bother. It's just this silly little thing. Let's go after bigger, faster, better Cadillac. The bad news, or the good, depending on your point of view, is that once a disruptor gains a foothold, it too is motivated by bigger, faster, better Lexus. And so it goes. So now let's talk about personal disruption. This is how you take all of these ideas that we apply to products and services and make them meaningful to you. So you start at the bottom of a ladder, you climb to the top, and then you jump to the bottom of a new ladder like the children's game, Shoots and Ladders. The thing about personal disruption is you climb the ladder and then you jump to the bottom. And that usually means that you are walking away from something. You're walking away from money. You're walking away from stature, possibly security. So people will frequently think you have completely lost your mind, except that you walk away from that because you believe that that step back will actually slingshot you forward. What we're going to explore on this show is how do you know when it's time to disrupt yourself? 
And once you do make that decision to jump and try something new, how do you do it successfully? Our first guest today is Karen Clark. She's a Utah-based three-time CEO, currently CEO of Banyan, a company that helps medical practices engage with her patients. She's a cancer survivor, an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in Technology in the Utah region, and a Utah CEO of the Year. Oh, and she plays in a band. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much, Whitney. I'm so excited to be here. So your career, Karen, has been full of disruptions. Can you give us a bit of background, beginning with where you grew up? Well, I was an, I'm an Arby brat. I'm the oldest of four, and I was paralyzingly shy as a young person. And I was always pushing against change. It was hard for me. Uh, my parents left me when I was a senior, and I just struggled all the time. But wait, wait, wait. I, they left you? <laughs> wait, they on. left me. They left you? They you left like- me. What does that mean exactly? They wanted to, uh, my father was um, stationed back in Virginia and he came home one night and said, we're moving back to the States. And I had lived in Germany for years and I said, I'm not moving. And my mother, you know, she was upset about that. My father said, you know what? She's old enough. And so uh, they went back to the States and I stayed in Germany by myself, which was, which was probably the best thing that could happen to me. Talk about disruption because I was by myself. And I had to I had to figure things out, and I started to figure out that I could figure things out. Mm. So came to college, and again everything was hard for me because I had wasn't sure what I wanted to do. No one really helped me. Um, the guy I was dating as a freshman was killed in a car accident. It just felt like everything was hard. And then I started to figure out that that's what life was. It's that the only thing that doesn't change was change. I uh, went into technology after I graduated, and I've been wait, in technology so, so, since. Wait, so back up. So you, your parents leave you. <laughs> Not really, but they let you fend for yourself in Germany. Yeah. And so then you come to college. And so you, you come to college, and what did you decide that you were going to study in college? I, studied, I, was, I decided I was going to study art. And I loved design and art, but I hated the classes. So, hmm. um, so I, so I signed up for all the art classes and I remember going to the teacher and saying, I'm not, I can't do this. And he's like, sure you can, you, you're terrific. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And so, um, I started taking communications classes and fell in love with communication and how behavior and how people do things. And so ended up graduating with a degree in organizational communications, hmm. went hmm. on to study library science. As a uh, master's or as a master's as a master's, I was working in the in the library and loved the isolation of the library, loved the quiet, loved the information. It was like heaven for me. Um, but I didn't thrive in that environment because I wanted to change things. I wanted to get rid of the card catalog. I wanted to make all these improvements. And I remember when the librarian said to me, Someone has to die for you to be promoted. And as a young, <laughs> as a, as a young person who loves technology, it was horrifying. So I quit my job. And uh, there were a lot of tech companies in Utah at the time, mainly Novell and WordPerfect. So I interviewed at both and got a job at both and chose the Novell job because that's where my husband was working. And so, 
So you so you graduate, you do organizational communications as an undergrad, first disrupting yourself because you think you're going to do art, then you do right. organizational communications, then you decide to go into library sciences, and you realize that in order for any disruption to occur inside of that organization, someone's going to have to die. So you right. think, I probably better move, and then you move from library sciences to working in a technology company. Right. Lots of shoots and ladders here going on, right? Right. Okay. Right. So, Novell, what happens at Novell? So, Novell was uh, an amazing ride for a young person because I'm working with some, you know, historical figures, even though I don't know it at the time. So, I met folks like Eric Schmidt and Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates and um, Jim Canavino of IBM. But I'm a young person, so I'm thinking this is normal. And um, I loved information, remember, and I love the speed of technology. So I'm kind of moving my way through the company. Every couple years, I took a different job, not because I was bored, but because I wanted to add some pretty cool tools to my toolbox. And so um, I guess that was the beginning of my, you know, genesis of really embracing disruption is that if I can't progress, I'll, I'll step aside, go to take a different job, but always in marketing. And um, near the end of my time at Novell, so f- almost 15 years, I realized that I hadn't, didn't have the product chops that I wanted. So I went into the product group and then uh, the company acquired another company. And all of a sudden I'm out of a job because um, I, there's no place for me to go and I want to do something else. So I get off the ride. Huh. Okay. So 15 years, same company, you change jobs every couple of years in, or change roles inside of Novell every right. few years, which I think is important because I think oftentimes when people think about career disruption, they think they have to change companies. And what you're saying is you were able to change roles three or four, maybe five times right. during your 15 years at Novell. Right. But then they get acquired and you said you basically, were you laid off or? So I was laid off uh, from the, the, the new CMO came in and said, because I, I had all these ideas for things we could do finally, we could keep going. Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, no, we're not going to go that direction. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, and I was six months pregnant with triplets. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, we're going to make some changes. And I didn't like the changes. So she said, then you're, then you're not going to be here. I'm like, great. Uh, I'm six months pregnant with triplets. She's like, you are not. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I actually am. <laughs> I just hide it really well. And I was I was pretty calm because I had all this experience. I had all these connections. But I had been at this company for so long, it was uh, all I really knew. And so I didn't sign any packages. I didn't sign any um, no, nothing. And I waited probably three months before I agreed to any separation, which turned out to be, I actually had another job before that because I knew that this was a a chance for me to really see how good my skills were. Hmm. I've been promoted a ton, but uh, now it's time to say, okay, roll the dice on your own skills. And so I had five job offers and uh, they were terrific, except for one was horrible. And I took the horrible (laughs) one. You took the horrible job? I took the horrible job. On paper, it was the lowest. It was no title. It was a third of my pay. It was no staff, no budget, no office, a cubicle, 
And it was this little tiny startup that no one had heard about. And the other jobs were all vice president jobs, CMO jobs. And it was the beginning of people started to tell me, say the thing to me that you just mentioned, have you lost your mind? Hmm. Have you lost your mind? They, and people thought it was because I was pregnant. Oh, you were having pregnancy. Yes. Brain. Yes. Ah, oh, she's, she's a, traumatized. Yes. She lost her job. She's pregnant yes. with triplets. That yes. must be why she's going to this lame O job. Yes, she's nesting. She just was trying to take a job that she can overshadow. And she's mm-hmm. afraid. Mm-hmm. And people said things to me. And I was like, mm, no, I know what I have to do. Hmm. Even my husband said, why don't you wait until you have the babies and then, (laughs) and I actually, I lost one, I lost the second one. So then it was like, okay, she's, she's really spiraling. Yeah. And I, so I accepted the job. They knew I was, I told them I'm six months pregnant and they're like, you're not. I'm thinking, why is everybody telling me this? And I didn't have to tell them, but I want, I didn't want them to ever be surprised. I wanted them to make the decision knowing that I was going to have to take a few months off. But and why? So let's back up for a second, though, because why did you take that job? What was in your what? So, again, we think about it. People think you've lost your mind, but you're playing a longer game, right? You've got a longer time horizon. So what was in your brain that said, no, I'm actually going to bet on this job? What was happening? So the other jobs were very seductive, right? The titles mm-hmm. and the money and but this company had some assets that I didn't think they actually realized that they had. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can go in here. I can actually do a great job and see my fingerprints on every part of this process and build a pretty cool team instead of inheriting a team, instead of going into a bunch of problems, instead of going into places where the brand's already set. I can actually build something pretty cool that I haven't done before in a smaller company. Mm-hmm. And so let's see, Karen, let's see what you can do because you already, you've had a great career at Novell. Loved my time there. Loved what I did. Oh, by the way, that CMO didn't last very long. And when they called me to come back, I'm like, you know what? The toothpaste is kind of out of that tube. So <laughs> I'm, I'm still putting it back for me and I'm going to do this. And I didn't know if I could do it. I just, the, I'm very open to what the universe has for me. And this was something that was exciting and terrifying. And yet I had skills that no one else had there. So I was like, why not? This is the best time to do it. I had a nice severance from my company before. I had no debt. I had lots of room to move. So if I fail, I can do something else. It's a very liberating feeling for me. Yeah, that is fascinating. So, so basically, you're at Novell. What was your role at Novell when you left? I was a senior director of product of all the products, so product marketing, product management. Okay, so very, and you had tested yourself, but now you're like, all right, I'm not the CMO. I want to go test my skills and see what I'm really. You wanted to see what you were really made of because you wanted to make sure that, in fact, all those promotions were for real and that you had real skills. Right, and, so and I had. I was recognized as employee of the year. I had all these big awards at the company. And so you start to believe, you know, you start to believe that stuff. And then you're like, that stuff's not real. Like, how (laughs) good am I? Okay. All right. So I think this is a great time to go for a break. Um, Everyone, thank you for tuning in. We will be right back after our commercial spot talking more with Karen Clark, the CEO of Banyan. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want more of personal disruption? Whitney Johnson's book, Disrupt Yourself, which the Boston Globe described as the what color of your parachute career guide of today, is available wherever books are sold. If you are wondering how to apply these ideas to build a team that can manage through change, her new book, Build an A-Team, published by Harvard Business Press, is now available for pre-order. In the meantime, you can hear more in-depth interviews with disruptors at WhitneyJohnson.com. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice of America Business Channel. By 2025, the global life sciences market will have changed dramatically from the industry we know today. Patients are becoming more proactive and focused on wellness. Healthcare providers, payers, and producers are exploring ways to collaborate across the digital health sciences network to reduce costs while improving patient safety and care quality. How will you remain relevant? Tune in on the Voice America Business Channel for Changing the Game in Life Sciences, presented by SAP. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Disrupt Yourself Live. To reach Whitney Johnson with a question or comment about the show, please send your email to wj at whitneyjohnson.com. Now back to Disrupt Yourself Live. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Whitney Johnson, the host of Disrupt Yourself Live, and we are talking about personal disruption today with Karen Clark. We just, before the break, we're talking about her move to a company called Alteris. It was one of five different options. It was the one that seemed like the least obvious one, and yet she took that job anyway. So, Karen, tell us what happened next after you took this job at Alteris. Well, I started as entry-level manager sitting in a cubicle, and uh, the, the president came by, the CEO came by and said, I don't understand you. you. You're this big executive from Novell, and you're sitting in a cubicle. And I'm like, yes. He's like, that makes me nervous. I'm like, sir, I'm going to do a great job for you. And I did. So I uh, moved very quickly through the company. <clears throat> Later found out that the CMO, when he interviewed me, he said, I knew you would be taking my job. And um, he wasn't afraid of that because he said, look, if you can make a bigger pie for me, then, you know, we all win. So worked really hard, built a great team. Uh, the company thrived. The company ended up, we were acquired by Symantec for $1.3 billion um, five years after I had started there. And it wasn't me. It was the team. They had done a great job of selling and growing. And what I brought to the company was the ability to partner with some pretty amazing companies pretty quickly. And so that helped in the growth. Um, pretty disruptive to be acquired by the third largest software company in the world 
in California, different culture, different everything. Um, the rest of the executives were excited about it. I really wasn't. And it's hmm. funny that I turned out to be the only executive that actually stayed with the company. Um, the CE, the president offered me the chief marketing officer job, which at first I was like, no, because Symantec can have anyone they want. But I had a different type of a advantage. I was a very uh, quant-driven marketing executive. I knew all my stats. I knew all my ratios. I knew how to grow businesses. I knew how to be pretty productive with the money that I was given. So I ended up accepting the job and was did that for six years. Wait, so Symantec acquires Alteris for a billion three. And what's the market cap of Symantec at this time? Gosh, I don't remember, but it was massive. because. But it was start. like a lot bigger, right? It was a lot bigger. Okay, so they acquire you, and then you end up becoming their CMO. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sensing a pattern here. All right, so what happened? You're at Symantec for how many years, and then what what do you do next? I'm at Symantec for five years. Um, Loved my job, loved my team. It was a massive organization, but it was a hard job because Symantec keeps the world safe from all the bad guys, and so you're you're, you're paying attention to world threats all the time. Uh, five years into it, I'm diagnosed with uh, stage 3C ovarian clear cell cancer, which came out of the blue because no one in my family has cancer. No one, I'm a very healthy lifestyle. You know, I've never taken anything stronger than a Motrin in my whole life. And um, this was just, it was devastating because I had a 20% survival rate. And here I have a nine-year-old and a 17-year-old boy that I boys that I worked really hard to get on the planet, and now I'm going to leave, and now there's going to be a second wife, and now I'm at the top of my career, and this is it. I'm done. So it was um, terrifying, but also another chance to say, huh, how tough are you? What have you got? How are you going to deal with this? How are you going gonna to curl up in a ball and sob uncontrollably, or... Are you going to use your MBA? Are you going to use your all the skills that you have to negotiate and hammer things? And are you going to face this with guts and tenacity? And by the way, show your children what that means to stand up to something pretty awful. Wow. And so that's what I tried to do. How did your, you just said something that I thought was really interesting. How did your MBA, you said, I'm going to use my MBA to, to lick this. Like, how did that how did that come into your calculus? So when the doctor said, I said, what's my survival rate? He said, we're not going to tell you. I said, you, mm-hmm. you know, I have the internet in my hand. I can find it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He said, okay, you have a 20% chance of beating this and most people don't beat it. And so uh, I just sat there for a second. I didn't cry. I didn't, uh, you know, I, my brain started kicking into motion. It's like, okay, what tools do you have to fight this? Well, I worked really hard to get my MBA, and my MBA has helped me manage the business of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I use that to negotiate, to plan, to to do everything, because my job was one job, to beat the cancer and to build a plan that would beat the cancer. So I built a team. I started interviewing people to be on part of my team, my oncologist, my surgeon, my all the people that helped me, my nurses. Um, I started looking at options. So they said, your protocol is two cancer drugs every three weeks for six months. Well, I had done my research. So I said, actually, there's a better protocol. Uh, It's three cancer drugs every single week for six months and one cancer drug every 21 days for a year, 18 months of chemo, sign me up for that. And they said, everyone finds that, but no one can do it because it's just so punishing physically and mentally. And I said, look, I have two sons that I worked 22 years to get here 
I am not going to check out this way. So this is what I'm going to do. And I did it. I did 18 months of chemo. And I said, I'm not going to lose my hair. And they're like, uh, you should worry about the cancer, not your hair. But I said, nope. I need my son's friends when they come over to the house not to say to them all the time, what's wrong with your mom? Why is she bald? So I did. And I used my MBA to negotiate that. So it was a really wow. uh, a great learning experience for me because we are tougher than we know. And people are good, and happiness is a choice. Those are the three things that I got mm. I took out of it. So, how many years have you been cancer free? I've only been cancer free for about a year now. I was diagnosed in 2012. I did mm-hmm. I had to be five years clear, mm-hmm. and then last year when they when they said uh, my surgeon said to me, I don't think it's coming back, mm. and my oncologist said, I think we're through it. I still get checked all the time because yeah. Cancer is crazy, comes back when it wants, but I, I choose to live my life, whatever I've got left, with just as much grace and, and humility as I can. You know, what's interesting about that, carrying on this, uh, this topic of disruption that we're talking about today is that sometimes we disrupt ourselves and sometimes we're disrupted. And what you just said is happiness is a choice. And, you know, whether we see failure or success is a choice, like everything we do, how we respond to things is always a choice. And I think it's a, um, a really good reminder. So let me ask you this then. Um, what so you were CMO at Symantec, you have cancer, and then you disrupt yourself again and go become the CEO of a company. How do you run businesses differently now having had cancer, having had that experience, having had that, that uh, you know, sort of crash course in, in life and survival and resilience? Well, as horrible as it sounds, cancer, turns out that cancer was a gift for me. Because when you think you're going to die, it changes you forever. And it teaches you that you have to run to the fire, right? So when you have cancer, you don't have any other option but to run to the fire. Some people kind of curl up in a ball and just follow some scripts someone wrote them. But since I've been changed, understanding that we're all going to die, so I know I'm going to die. I don't waste time on anything that's not going to help me do what I need to do, help me become a better person. And I use all that scar tissue from the past to move pretty quickly through problems. So I come back to Symantec. The day before I come back, I took a six-month leave. I was still on doing chemotherapy for another year. And the day before I come back, they fire my boss, who I loved and adored. He was the CEO. And the new CEO, it was just it was not my CEO. So mm-hmm. I and I knew that I didn't love my job as much as I used to. So I had decided that I was going to leave. It was easy for me because I've already I think I'm going to die. So I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. So for example, I don't clean my house anymore, outsource. I don't balance my checkbook anymore. I don't do anything I don't want to do. And so I said, uh, I'm going to I'm going to take myself out. So it took me a few months to get out. But I had already decided I wasn't gonna I wasn't going to come back. So I came back in July, but I didn't leave until January. And I had was open again. What should I do? And um, people told me I should go and be a CMO. But there was all these startups in Utah that needed a CEO. And so uh, one of those companies called me and said, "We'd like you to be the CEO." And I had to really be thoughtful about can I can I pull this off with all the skills that I have? And so, I wasn't sure, but why not? Because not many CMOs become the CEO. 
But once you're the CEO and you've proven that you can do it, then that is a much bigger universe of opportunity for you as an executive. Absolutely. And and again, going back to this idea of shoots and ladders. So your P&L at Symantec was what, a billion dollars? And you go to Allegiance and the revenue is a fraction revenue of Revenue is, yeah, seven. <laughs> seven. Right. So a P&L of a billion to revenue of $7 million. Did right. people think you'd lost your mind again? Again. She has lost her. It's the cancer this time. The cancer. <laughs> First it's know, babies. Now yeah. it's the cancer. <laughs> and what's funny is that if you grow up not caring about peer pressure, because clearly I didn't, because I didn't have that many friends and I just did what I wanted to do. That you know, peer pressure doesn't go away when you're a grown up. There's still peer pressure. People are like, it's not, it's going to destroy your career. Your resume is going to be jacked up. You, it, this is reckless. I mean, people said things to me, and I would listen to it, and I'd be like, no, eh, you're not right. And because I know that Lincoln freed the slaves. And if I don't want to do this, if I get in and I'm over my head or I can't pull it off or I hate it, then I'll go do something else. But mm. so far, I've never hated it. I've always jumped in. It's like, I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. So I got to hire some folks. But I know that I know. What, what do you what are some like. things you know you can do? You said, I know I can do. So if someone asked you that, what's what are one or two things you're like? I know I can do this. So first thing, I know I can jump in and understand the numbers very quickly. So I've done a ton of acquisitions. Well, I mean a ton, more than hundreds. And I can jump into a company, look through the numbers, and figure exactly where the problems are. So the numbers don't scare me. I understand the math. I appreciate the math. And I dig deep for the math. The other thing I know how to do is I know how to grow things. I know how to partner I know how to lose to win uh, in technology, in revenue. And so most people don't know how to do that. And so when I show them what that means, they're like, okay, that's magic if it works. And it's work too, but it's how to grow faster. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so you take on Allegiance and $7 million dollars. Talk us through your next couple of up the ladder and then jumping again. Talk us, start to bring us up to the present. So I jump into Allegiance, a company run by millennials, uh, all dev, so technical guys who sh- who wear shower shoes but don't shower. Um, they're very different from me. <laughs> what does and that mean, you wear shower shoes but don't shower? <laughs> they, they're very casual. They wear okay, shorts and flip-flops to work. Got it, okay. Uh, most, mostly young men, um, very entitled, good guys, but millennials. And I show up, uh, I'm, I'm old, female, uh, been in tech for 30 years, MBA, and wear pearls and drink Perrier, right? That, that's so foreign to them. And so I interviewed every employee for 30 minutes just so I could get understand where I was at. And I realized I was a complete outsider. So, um, and I didn't want to displace the founder because he was terrific, a spiritual leader. So we worked really hard to build a team and to show the team what success looked like, start to partner, revenue started growing, started fixing the churn, got rid of a bunch of business, parts of business that weren't going to help us, um, services and stuff that's attractive because it's money, but horrible margin, and then built and you know honed a really terrific business that was attractive to other companies, started to partner. One of those partners had an interest in the technology, so that partner came in and bought the business. Hmm. And so now now we're a $200 million business with a two very different cultures, very different investors, 
Um, really hard, hard to put those two companies together, but super proud of what we were able to build, a marriage of technology and services, and did that for a couple of years. Wait, okay, so I want to interject now. Didn't you end up becoming the CEO of the combined entity? Yes. Okay, so again, Goliath buys David, but you end up going, you become the CEO. Cause that's, right. So that's happened twice now. This happened, yeah, and it's and it and I don't look like what they want because um, I'm female, I'm in technology, and I'm from Utah, which is very different than the owners. But they also saw an energy and a passion and an ability in our team, and I think that they were worried about losing that because they needed that. Which I think is why they bought the business. Mm. And so, uh, but really, really, really hard to put the two companies together. Um, a lot of travel. Uh, a lot of very large accounts, which I was used to because of my time at Symantec, but uh, two really amazing, but also tough years, hmm. tough years. And the investors and the owners had made commitments about bringing in technology uh, investments, which was important to me, and making some changes. And as we got through the two years, they, they changed their mind. Hmm. And so it wasn't going to be a place for me. I couldn't do it long term because remember... I I beat cancer and uh, <laughs> I I don't I don't do things that are just punishing all the time. I don't if I can't make a difference, if I can't make a change, then um, I'm going to do something else. Hmm. And people always think that I've lost my mind. So I guess the message for me is that you have to listen to your inner core self that knows hmm. you better than anyone. So you left. I left. Okay. So this time you left on your own. You're like, all right, we're going to do something else. So tell us about what you're doing today. So today I'm at a startup called Banyan. And it is, um, again, it's funny because I took my time. I took six or seven months uh, just working with entrepreneurs, doing things I wanted to do, work out, working out during the daytime because, you know, it's like that's different. Spending time with my kids traveling, just doing whatever I want to do, completely open to opportunities, had a lot of opportunities, not because I'm so awesome, but because I'm a known quantity. And there are a lot of companies that need executive CEOs to help them get to the next level. And so um, tons of opportunities. But this little company called Banyan, the, the investors called me and I'm like, no, I'll give you five minutes. Well, after 90 minutes, of talking with them, I realized it was just like Altiris. They had mm. assets they didn't know about, run by, this was run by young young people again, so that was more like allegiance that they had these millennials that had started the company, three founders, grew very quickly, and then just kind of didn't know how to get to the next level. And um, pretty disruptive for me to show up, again, a woman, uh, older, been in some big companies, and I show up at this little tiny company. Most of these employees, this was their first or second job. Most of them hadn't been to college. Most of them didn't have other experience. So I show up July and uh, meet every employee, again, about 45 minutes, and then I can start to see pieces that I thought were the way to go. It was the way to go. So wow. um, changing the wow. roadmap bringing in some <laughs> other folks and signing up partners. So now we've got 23 partners in less than seven months. Wow. Um, yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. So amazing. Cool. <laughs> so,
So, Karen, I we we've, we've got to wrap up and get ready to go to break, but I just want to say thank you. I mean, what a, a wonderful example of repeated personal disruptions and how you've been willing to take a step back and every single time you've it's been a slingshot forward. I hope that everyone listening has gotten something super valuable in terms of how you can manage your own career, your own team, your own business. Um, thank you, Karen Clark, for joining us today. Uh, it's it's been a terrific uh, conversation. A pleasure. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want more of personal disruption? Whitney Johnson's book, Disrupt Yourself, which the Boston Globe described as the what color of your parachute career guide of today, is available wherever books are sold. If you are wondering how to apply these ideas to build a team that can manage through change, her new book, Build an A-Team, published by Harvard Business Press, is now available for pre-order. In the meantime, you can hear more in-depth interviews with disruptors at WhitneyJohnson.com. Today's innovative companies use SAP solutions to transform their business. On hashtag SAP Talks, your host, David Treitz, will introduce you to the people behind those companies, discuss how they resolve their most pressing business challenges, and share lessons learned. Tune in monthly to hashtag SAP Talks on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. You are listening to Disrupt Yourself Live. To reach Whitney Johnson with a question or comment about the show, please send your email to wj at whitneyjohnson.com. Now back to Disrupt Yourself Live. Hi, everyone. This is Whitney Johnson at Disrupt Yourself Live. Um, uh, we now have our next guest, Cos Marte, a former drug dealer turned legitimate entrepreneur. He's the CEO and founder of Conbody, a fitness company that gives you a prison-style workout, and the author of the revolutionary bodyweight prison boot camp, born from an extraordinary story of hope, which is out just a month ago. Right, Cos? Yeah, uh, two weeks ago, actually. Oh, fantastic. Well, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So you've had a story of a lot of personal disruption. Can you tell us a little bit um, about the story of your business, your illegitimate business, um, and then what happened next when you got disrupted and sent to prison? Yeah, so I I ran a a drug business, um, and it was all brought from my experiences growing up in the Lower East Side where it was a very, very heavily drug-infested neighborhood back in the 80s and 90s. And um, my mom would work in this factory, you know, long hours. And, and my childcare was, you know, basically the guys on the corner uh, who were dealing. And, that, and that's, what I, that's what I aspired to be. You know, as a kid, I saw, you know, these guys had everything, you know, from cars to chains to women. And I was like, this is... 
the life I want to live and aspire to be. So I, I would go to school and people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would tell them I want to be rich and, and rich. I became, I, at 19, I was making over $2 million a year and I was running one of the largest drug delivery services in New York city. And I, I, I disrupted, uh, the drug dealing world. I, I basically came up with an innovative way of making a delivery service instead of like what people were doing back in the day when they were standing on a corner, you know, just dealing hand to hand. I had a fleet of cars and we had business cards and, um, it was just, it was like Uber <laughs> before Uber for out. drugs. Yeah. 15 years ago. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what happened? So you're having this great business, $2 million yeah. a year. And then, and then everything ended. Uh, when I was 23 years old, I, I was sentenced to seven years in prison. Uh, federal agents um, just ran in the stash house that I was walking in, and they found over a kilo of cocaine and thousands of dollars, and and uh, and and I got locked up. And from there, I was I was sentenced uh, this time, um, and I was fortunate to have seven years because I thought I was going to be serving a life sentence in prison because of my my previous incarcerations i was i was in the system in and out of jail since i was 13 to 27 and this was my third felony so back then uh when i was fighting the case and um there was a law the rockefeller laws and if you get a third felony and get caught with a certain amount of drugs you you get thrown in and you have life behind your, your sentence. So I was facing 15 a life. Um, but thank God due to certain circumstances that happened in the, and in the government at that time, you know, I don't know if people remember when governor Spitzer cheated on his wife with the prostitute, but that, that changed my whole, uh, sentencing because governor Patterson came in and he changed the whole, uh, laws up and reformed the Rockefeller laws. Hmm. And that was, and I got seven years behind that. Interesting. So you go to prison and you're in, so it turns out it's only seven years. What kind of experience did you have and how did that lead to this idea for this business that you have today? Yeah. So Combody and the book was derived from my prison experience. So when I went in, uh, that's when I found out I had all types of health issues. I was, I was pretty overweight and my cholesterol levels were through the roof and they said if I didn't start exercising and eating correctly that I would probably die in prison within five years so I told them I'm not gonna die I didn't believe that I was in that bad of health uh, but I was I was motivated to start moving so I started running the yard started working out in my prison cell came up with different type of exercise moves that I, I distribute at Combody today and it, it, it went it helped me and regain my life. I got my life back. I, I lost 70 pounds in six months. Hmm. And then I helped over 20 inmates who was over 1,000 pounds combined. Um, but it was Wait, say good. that again? You helped 20 inmates say that one oh, more time? Over over 20 inmates who was over 1,000 pounds combined. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you get disrupted. You send to prison. Then you realize your health is really bad. And you decide. And at this point... So it sounds like you were feeling pretty determined, like I'm not going to die and I'm not going to spend the rest of my life 
Like at that point in time, when you first started exercising, et cetera, what did you think your life would be like when you got out of prison? What was your, what were you anticipating at that point? Oh, when I came out of prison, I don't know. I was, I was just trying to be content and, and really, really appreciative of everything I had because I, 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 I was in solitary confinement when I was in there and I was stripped away from every little thing you could have. So when I came home, you know, I slept on my mom's couch for a year. Um, that was my, that was like my home. And I, I was kissing that couch every single night because I felt mm. so fortunate to, you know, have my freedom back to eat good food, you know. So I didn't, I, I, you know, I was, I was hungry to come out and, you know, start my business and, and find a job and, and do the right thing. But most importantly, I was, I just, you know, I was like, if this fails or not, you know, I'm, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be content and I'm going to be okay. When did you get your idea for a business? Because I mean, it, it's not very many people, whether they're 19 or 59 who can say that they've built a business that's a two million dollar year a business two million dollar a year business so when did you get the idea for your current business uh so the idea of my current business came from solitary confinement i Mm. was i was sent to the box we call it the boxes where you're you're locked in in 23 hours um and one hour a wreck and and your wreck is a is a cage so it's really not wreck. It's basically a little bit of fresh air you got. Um, but while I was in there, they didn't, they denied me wreck. Um, I was in there 24 hours. Um, and I was devastated. I was devastated at the fact that I, I let my son down cause I was coming home in two months. And, uh, due to the, the trouble I was in, uh, this guard, you know, basically placed his hands on me and, and I ended up in solitary confinement because of it. Mm-hmm. So while I'm in solitary, um, I was going crazy. I had no way, no how to contact anyone. Um, and then I, I, I was given this paper pen and this envelope from this guard. And I, I you know, I first, what my first thought was to, you know, write a letter. So I, I basically like wrote a letter out to my family and letting them know I'm not coming home. I'm in trouble. I'm in this situation. You know, please get me out of this this problem. Uh, and then I closed it and I realized I had no stamp to send out this letter with. So I was mm-hmm. even more devastated because I had no way to contact anybody. And I started banging my head on the wall. And like, just, I don't know, I was at my lowest point. I don't know what to do. And, um, and it was not until a couple of days later, my sister... Uh, writes me and tells me to write, read Psalm 91 from the Bible. Um, I had this Bible early on in my incarceration, and and while I was there, I was I I didn't I didn't believe in God. I got that letter and I was like, you know, f God. Like, I don't believe in religion. That's not going to help me. What I need is is a lawyer. Hmm. Um, but at a at a boredom, um, sitting there for a couple more days, I decided to pick up the Bible and I turned to the to the pages that she told me to read, Psalm 91, uh, that states, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my shelter and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And as soon as I read those words, a stamp fell out of my Bible. Mm. Hmm. And it was that stamp that I needed to send out that letter with. And I felt chills. You know, I felt 
goosebumps and and I felt like there was something bigger than myself for the first time in my life um and I be I became a believer I became a believer that there there was a higher power that I was not this you know drug dealer almighty unstoppable guy you know and I was humbled and mm. and I I read the bible from front to back and um and and I started feeling so much regret I started thinking about my family and what they were going through because I was in there uh I started thinking about the people that I sold drugs to and how I affected their bodies and how you know I they these individuals had families that were being affected yeah uh, by what I've done and I and I asked and I asked God for the first time, how can I pay back? You know, how can I get back the for all the wrongdoings that I've done in my life? And it hit me like a like a light bulb. It was like the idea just came straight to me, and I said, "Wow!" Like, I was like, I, "I'm already helping these guys in the yard. I'm I'm working out. This is what I love doing." And and I started writing it out. And I, I wrote out every single workout routine. I it's there's where the, the book was derived hmm. and, uh, my my and what i every workout routine i wrote in that box is in that book and um and the food that i was eating and all that stuff so cause we've got about 30 seconds left before we need to wrap up can you just tell people really quickly um like in 15 seconds yep. where people can buy your book because your story is incredibly compelling and i'm sure that they want to know how to do the workouts so where can people buy your book and find you yeah, so you could go to Amazon at Combody.com. Just search Combody.com. You can see our book mm -hmm. there or go to Amazon and search Combody. C-O-N-B-O-D-Y, like con and body. And, and we will give you that prison body you've always desired if you, if you yeah. follow my routines. <laughs> well, Cause, thank you so much for being with us. Um, your story, I, I've interviewed you before. Your story continues to inspire. And thank you for helping people get healthy. And thank you for... Um, disrupting yourself and your way of life and inspiring so many others to do the same. Thank you again to Karen Clark for um, being our guest today. And thank you to all of you for listening. Until next time, I'm Whitney Johnson, and you've been listening to Disrupt Yourself Live. Thank you. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for being a part of Disrupt Yourself Live for this week. Remember, our show is broadcast every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and episodes are always available on demand at the Voice America Business Channel. Please join your host, Whitney Johnson, for another edition next week.